Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we look to you as we study the word to bring your word alive to our hearts. And we pray that the lessons that you have, the blessings that you've prepared, will be received. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. The title I gave to the sermon today is, But God Meant It for Good. It's a story from the Bible of tragedy and sorrow, of forgiveness and redemption. And it's a very famous story in the Bible, one of the longest actual personal stories in the Bible, and that begins in Genesis 37. If you'd like to follow along, chapter 37 in Genesis. And uh, it is the story of of Joseph. And uh, I'd like to take a look at this and some of the lessons that uh, we can learn from it. And it tells that uh, Jacob was dwelling in the land where his father was a stranger, land of Canaan. And then it uh, says, this is the genealogy of Jacob. And Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock. And um, as we know that he had older brothers, and the older brothers were from other mothers, um, and in verse 3, we see the challenges and strife in the family beginning because it says Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all the other children because he was the son of his old age. And it was also, he was uh, the firstborn son of his favorite wife, uh, Rachel. And uh, he made him a tunic of many colors, a coat of many colors. Now, you wouldn't think a new coat would cause as much problems as it did. But apparently this coat that was made uh, was almost royal in its appearance. And the brothers already knew, the older brothers. Benjamin, of course, was quite a bit younger, so he really wasn't in on all this. But uh, the older brothers thought that maybe... Father Jacob was going to pass the entire inheritance to Joseph and not share it with them. And they thought it even more when this coat is prepared, which appears to to be uh, a coat of royalty. And um, so when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably. It's okay to consider your son your most loved child if he's the only child. (laughs) Otherwise, it should all be equal. Um, And, of course, for husbands, uh, the best way to have your favorite wife is to have the favorite wife, the only wife. (laughs) And as we can see, all of this caused a great deal of strife. But we see in verse um, 5 that the gift of the spirit of prophecy, which had been given to Jacob and to Isaac and Abraham before, um, apparently now is being passed on to Joseph. And it says he dreamed these dreams. And um, 
So he, being a young man, young teenager, uh, when something special happens, you start telling your siblings. Only they didn't appreciate it at all. And he tells the story, there were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down. And, of course, the brothers got the point immediately, which they didn't like. Um, and they hated him even more, it says. And then he dreamed another dream, took it to his brothers, and you, you would have thought he would have figured out by this time maybe he shouldn't tell any more to his brothers the dream. But anyway, he says, look, I dreamed another dream, and the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down, told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down before the earth? His brothers envied him, but the father kept the matter in his, in his mind or in his heart. So the, the dad, Jacob, was realizing something special was going on. Even though he, he sort of gently rebuked him, um, but he was thinking in his mind, something special is happening, but we don't understand what. What is this po- could this possibly mean? And um, But the brothers, as we see uh, later in that very same chapter, um, they go out with the sheep to find some new pasture, and um, Dad sends Joseph out with lunch. Jacob didn't realize how much these brothers hated Joseph. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent him. So he sends Joseph out, and they conspired against him, verse 18, to kill him. And they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come now, let us kill him and cast him into some pit, which will say some wild beast has devoured him. Then we shall see what will become of his dreams. As we can tell in the long run, it never works out well to doubt God's leading and to doubt God's prophetic messages as they would eventually see. But Reuben, of course, the oldest steps in, well, let's not kill him. Uh, Let's not shed any blood. You know, let's just um, put him in this pit. And, um, And they put him there and they thought, well, what should we do with him? If we don't want to kill him, you know, but we've got to get rid of him. We don't want these dreams to come true. And so in verse 25, they sat down to eat the meal. This is the meal that Joseph had brought. Talk about being, you know, having gratitude, not having gratitude. Um, They sat down and eat the meal. And behold, there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices and balm and myrrh on their way down to Egypt. Who were the Ishmaelites? How were they related to to Jacob? Was that? Right, they were, they were, I don't know what you say, third cousins, I suppose, because uh, Abraham had two sons, and Ishmael was the first, and then, and then Isaac was, was second. And so they were related. And um, they, on their way to Egypt um, as, as merchants, and so they said, well, you know, let's just sell him. Sell him. And um, one would have to assume that the Ishmaelites probably figured out 
something was going on here because Joseph would have been dressed in a similar way to his brothers, probably, and they probably looked like them to some degree. And uh, But nevertheless, they say, you know, chance to make some money, let's, let's make it. And um, so they take uh, Joseph down to Egypt. And um, sometimes we picture in our minds Joseph, you know, walking behind a donkey or a camel, you know, with ropes tied to his hand and just trudging along all the way to Egypt. I'm thinking he probably rode. Because if you're going to make the best money on a slave, you want the slave to be in the best possible health condition when you get there. So probably he got to ride. But still, he was on his way as a slave. And then um, in, uh, in verse 31, they took Joseph's tunic, or his coat, killed the kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in the blood, and they sent the tunic of many colors. They brought it to the father, and we found this. Do you know whether this is your son's coat or not? And he recognized and said, it is my son's coat. And a wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And this was the beginning of the blood-red lie, a lie that would go on for 20 years in that family. And, of course, we see in verse 34 through uh, 35 how Jacob never, for this 20 years, would ever recover from the sorrow of, of this event. And uh, but then we see in verse 36, he sold to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So we see the beginning of, of 20 years of sorrow, of suffering, of separation. And you can ask the question, why did God allow Jacob who also had the gift of prophecy, to believe this lie for 20 years. Silence from heaven. No word. No answer. Did the angels know where Joseph was? Of course they did. Did the demons know where he was? Yes. All the whole universe knew where Joseph was, except for Jacob. And... No one was talking. No one was explaining, you know, what was happening. And, uh, I mean, one word from heaven could have, it would seem, could have saved Jacob 20 years of sorrow and suffering and separation. And you wonder, why didn't the angels tell? But the angels do only do what they're instructed. They only follow God's guidance. And they knew God had a larger plan. And so it brings up the question, why does God allow suffering? Um, in Romans 8.18, just a few verses ahead of the verse read today, um, it speaks about the fact that we have this moment of suffering, but it will be surpassed by this much greater weight of eternal glory. In other words, God has a purpose in allowing things to happen on this planet, but he always has the larger picture in mind. And that picture... Um, is the salvation of as many people as possible. And um, 
So we're turning over to uh, to the forty second chapter, and um, it talks about how the of course he had had the uh, interview with uh, with the Pharaoh, and he he you know of course been accused Joseph been accused of of a terrible crime, which was not true, had been thrown in prison. And you could you could imagine all along the way, you know, Joseph said, Lord, you gave me these dreams, and I told them, and they tried to kill me. And then he sold me as a slave, which is only slightly less worse than getting killed, because sooner or later you're going to die, because slaves didn't have generally a long lifespan. And so he goes down, he's faithful, working for Potiphar and rises to the top and again he gets thrown in prison and again he is faithful to God. It's evident that Joseph believed that God had a purpose. He didn't know what the purpose was but he believed that God had a purpose through all of this. Um, And he was willing to be faithful and willing to wait and find out what God's answer would be. And so, of course, the, uh, the, the dreams come to Pharaoh um, about the, uh, the, the good cattle and the bad cattle and the good corn and the bad corn. And uh, Joseph is invited to come and, and tell the dreams. And immediately he is promoted to second in command. And in verse 44, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt and uh, of course he then is given a wife and he has sons and remember he goes down he's 17 years old when he gets taken to Egypt Um, he's 30 years old when he's appointed as prime minister of the country and there will be seven years of plenty according to the prophecy so that makes, by the time the brothers show up, Joseph will be 37 years old. 17 to 37. Boys, what's the difference between 17 and 37? What, if, what, are you, what, what happens if you subtract 17 from 37? How much do you have left? We'll have to work on that later. (laughs) Um, So 20 years left that he was in Egypt all the time separated with no word from Canaan, no word from his family, from his father. Uh, Joseph's own mother had already died because she died at the the birth of Benjamin. And... um, So Joseph is appointed, and he begins the preparations uh, during the seven years of plenty, uh, which obviously was a God-inspired plan um, to save up. And in fact, they saved up so much grain, so much food, they finally said they stopped counting. Couldn't couldn't keep track of it anymore because they had so much. Uh, And then the, the... Years of famine began, and apparently the rainfall stopped. I don't know what happened to the Nile River, of course, but uh, in any event, the crops failed completely. And it wasn't just Egypt, it was all of the Middle East. 
because we know the same thing was happening in Canaan. And when Jacob saw in verse uh, 1 of chapter 42 that there was grain in Egypt, he said to the sons, why do you look at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Let us go down. Buy for us there that we may live and not die. So the ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. And incidentally, uh, even today, the wheat that is produced in Egypt is considered among the finest wheat in the world. Uh, It was prized even during the Roman times. Uh, wheat from Egypt, I guess because of the the uh, alluvial rise and falling and, and all that happened right by the Nile and they would grow the grain and it was so rich that it was considered to be the most nutritious wheat uh, in the world. And um, so the sons went down, verse 6, and now Joseph was governor of all the land. It was he who sold all, to all the people. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger and spoke roughly to them. And of course, they did not recognize him. Well, he wasn't speaking Hebrew at that point. He was speaking Egyptian. Uh, And whatever he communicated would have been done through a translator uh, to, uh, to the brothers. And it says, Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And... uh, he says, you're a spy as you come to see the, the nakedness of the land. Oh, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. He wants to find out, have the brothers changed? Has anything happened? Are they still the same brothers that he knew that sent him into Egypt and would have killed him had it not been for Reuben? Uh, and I believe he's also concerned for his younger brother, Benjamin, who wasn't there at that point. I hadn't come down with him. And he was, he was wondering, do I need to do something drastic to protect my younger brother from my older brothers? What's happened? Have they changed in character? And uh, verse 11, they say, oh, no, 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 10 and 11, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you've come to see the nakedness of the land. Oh, but your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man. In fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. They actually believed that Joseph was probably dead. Because they say slaves just didn't live a long time. They worked them to death. And so they truly believed that he he was gone. And, uh, And so he gives them the test. Okay, send one of you, let him, you know, keep, bring your brother down, and uh, the rest of you stay in prison, and we'll find out if you're true or not. So he puts them all in prison for three days, and finally lets them out and says, well, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers be confined here. Would you go, carry grain to the famine, for the famine to your houses, and bring the youngest brother to me so your words may be verified, and you shall not die. And then, in verse 21, begins this conversation which he understands, but they don't have a clue that he can understand Hebrew because he doesn't look. He looks like an Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian, probably has an Egyptian headdress, and um, he's surrounded by soldiers. And um, they are talking among themselves. And they said, we are truly guilty. For we saw the anguish of his soul. When he pleaded with us, and he would not hear 
Therefore the stress has come upon us. Verse 22, and Reuben said, Did not I speak to you? Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. And, of course, Joseph is hearing all of this, and he is overcome with emotion, turns away. But he takes Simeon and binds him and puts him in prison. Simeon being the chief instigator of the whole plot. And uh, so... uh, then Joseph, of course, gives the command to fill their sacks of grain and restore the man's money to them, and they depart. And, uh, of course, the brothers find that the money has, has been restored, and they're saying, uh-oh, they figured out something was going on. This was a setup. Why would their money be put back? Because if somebody from Egypt comes along, the soldiers, and find out they still got the money that was supposed to be paid for the grain, then that would be an excuse. You're a thief. We we can deal with thieves quite nicely in Egypt and permanently as well. And uh, (coughs) so they get home, and they tell tell Dad Jacob this whole story. And... uh, Then they find out everybody's money is in their sack. And they're even more concerned and more worried. And, of course, Jacob says, Benjamin is not going. He's not going down. Because I've already lost Joseph. I don't want to lose anymore. Simeon's still down there in prison. He said, I'm not going to lose any more children. And Reuben tries to console his father by kill my two sons (laughs) if I do not bring him back, which is hardly comforting. Um, But as time progresses and the famine gets worse and and they say, okay, we, we've got to do something. We've got to get food. And uh, Judah speaks up and says, hey, the only way we go back and get grain is if Benjamin is with us. And so Judah offers to be the, the uh, caretaker, uh, the guardian for Benjamin. And, uh, of course, Jacob said, why in the world did you tell this man that you had another brother, why why did you open this up? And they said, he asked us, he asked us. Um, how could we possibly know that he would say, bring your brother down? And uh, so in verse 11 and 43, they say, the father of Israel, Jacob, says to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruit of the land in your vessels. Carry down a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, uh, spices and myrrh, pistachio, nuts and almonds. So they had a few things to eat, but no, no bread. Uh, and says, "May God Almighty give you mercy." And so they they end up in Egypt, and um, he uh, invites them in uh, to 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 the banquet. But of course, they ask the steward, "What is going on with the money?" Why was the money in our sacks? We we wanted to pay for the grain, and yet, but it's interesting that um, the uh, the officer there for Joseph um, said to them that peace be with you. Verse twenty three. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. One could ascertained probably from this verse that this chief steward of of the household for Joseph 
may have become a believer because he's speaking about God and, and the God of your fathers and um, graciously. And so uh, they, they come down, of course, they have the meal and they discover that each one of them is placed in exact order according to the age. And they're beginning to realize this Egyptian fellow has an amazing way of figuring things out, uh, but they don't know why or how. And um, and of course, then of course uh, they're they're ready to go back. And uh, the 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 golden cup, uh, probably a silver cup actually, but anyway, it was placed in Benjamin's. Um, and this was supposed to be the one that could detect poison. So it's a very valuable cup. And uh, so I assume that there was a cup bearer that Joseph had that worked for him who got to taste whatever was being presented first. I would think that's kind of a hazardous occupation. Um, but anyway, it's okay, put that in the, in the sack. And of course, they leave, they're overtaken by um, the soldiers and they, the brothers are just absolutely totally discouraged depressed, they say okay God is paying us back for what we did to Joseph we don't know what the connection is here but we're getting paid back big time for what has happened and uh, so we are my Lord's slaves, both we and with whom the cup is found. Oh, no, no, no. The steward says, uh, only the one whose, whose you know, sack it's the cups occurs is found. And um, then, of course, they find out it's in Benjamin, and then they all feel even worse. And uh, then this eloquent speech that Judah gives um, to Joseph, to the prime minister, says, let me... Let me let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against me. And then he goes through the story of, of you know, his father and the child of his old age, and the, and the one brother is dead, and the younger one is there, and alone left of his mother's children. And um, so he he eloquently presents the case as to why Benjamin cannot be the one that stays behind. He cannot be the prison because it would bring incredible sorrow to, uh, to the father. And we, so we see these brothers who were willing to kill Joseph but had a slight change of heart and oh, just make him a slave. Uh, and of course they think he's dead. And now we see this transformation where they are concerned for their father's well-being, which they hadn't been before, their concern for his emotional health, um, and their their concern for each other, and particularly for Benjamin. And we see there in um, finally in verse uh, thirty of uh, chapter forty-four. Now, therefore, I come to your servant, my father. If the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen that when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your, your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad. Now, therefore, let your servant, 
Judah speaking of himself, remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. I don't have a verse for it, but I personally would believe that it was at this moment that the messianic line was given to continue through Judah uh, because this was the messianic family and we have no indication of which direction it was going to go prior to this moment but we see by the time that that uh, Jacob gives the prophecy of his children uh, just at his, on his deathbed that Judah is, is given the privilege of being the one through whom Christ will come through his lineage um, and I believe this is the moment that determined where that messianic line would go uh, through through these brothers. And of course, uh, then Joseph in chapter 45 makes known himself and uh, says they were dismayed in his presence. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, because they realize that this kid brother who they tried to kill, sold as a slave, is now the second most powerful man in the entire world. No, he has to do is raise his finger and the guards know what to do. They go to prison if they're lucky. Um, but Joseph responds so beautifully. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And he says, for these two years the famine has been in the land, there are yet five more years. So God has sent me before you to preserve a posterity. So now it was not you who sent me, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And so he says, go back and tell my father what you've seen. And he sends back all the wagons full of food and probably all kinds of gifts um, as well. And so they go back with this amazing caravan, um, as we see. And uh, money changes the garment. And they get back in uh, verse 25. It says, They went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan with Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. He's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe it. Suddenly Jacob realizes that he's been lied to for 20 years. The brothers, then the older brothers, and Benjamin wasn't a part of this, but the older brothers had been living a lie for 20 years. And... Um, so he suddenly realized that previous declaration was a lie. And now he's having trouble believing that what he's seeing isn't a lie. But, of course, the evidence is overwhelming. And um, so when they told him all the words that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the cards which Joseph had sent to carry him, 
The spirit of Jacob, their father, revived, and Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And it's interesting in chapter 46 that the first thing that Jacob does is pray to God and says, God, do you want me to go down? Do you want me to go down? Uh, And God said, yes, and I will make of you a great nation. I believe that Jacob was very much aware of the prophecy given to Abraham that there would be a sojourn in a foreign land, that they would be strangers in a foreign land for a long period of time, but then later they would come out with, with great blessings and great substance. And so I believe Jacob remembered what this prophecy had been given to Abraham, but he wanted to be sure that he was following God's plan now. Uh, certainly in the life of Jacob, we can see that when he was young, he deceived his father over the birthright. In fact, the name Jacob meant deceiver. Uh, he was changed to Israel, um, the one who's had um, power with God. But um, so he's, he is willing to go down. And so they all, they all go down to, uh, to Egypt, to the land of Goshen, and uh, are given the best the best of the land. And in fact, in the series of films uh, called Patterns of Evidence, which we shared, I think, the first one with you, uh, at least some of you, a while back, and will be, there's another one that's come out, and the third one that's on its way. Uh, they have actually found in the, in the studies in archaeology in the ground that in an area that's got a different name now, but was the land of Goshen, a whole number of large, pretty sizable, multi-thousand dwelling cities down in the sand. And they were not Egyptian architecture. They were Palestinian architecture. All the houses had Palestinian facets about them, pottery and everything. And um, evidently that by the time they leave, they, they went down with 70, and they come out with over a million and a half people, that multiple cities in this special area of Egypt um, were occupied by by the Hebrews. Uh, absolutely amazing what has been discovered in the ground. And as, as um, Robbie mentioned in the lesson today, as Christ predicted, the rocks would cry out. And, and indeed, that's one of the ways that God is showing tremendous evidence uh, and affirmation of the Bible is through archaeology. And uh, then just before Jacob dies, um, he calls the, the, the sons together and he gives them a prophecy. And it's interesting that in the patriarchal period, when it came time, they knew when they were going to die. They, they sensed that they would call the family together. They would be given a prophecy from the God about, about the future. And um, this is certainly one of the longer ones uh, in Scripture. But one of the beautiful things that in verse 15 of chapter 48 that Jacob says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the, the angel, capitalized, the angel, that is Christ, 
who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. And um, so we see Jacob seeing God's hand at work as he looks back and realizes through all the tumult, all the catastrophe, all the sorrow, all the suffering, the separation, that God was still at work and that God was still leading in a marvelous way. And what we really see here is that God didn't cause the suffering, but he allowed the suffering to take place and he used this suffering to heal this broken family because they were a chaotic family. When you read through some of the other chapters I didn't read to today, you realize they had a ton of problems. <laughs> I mean, they were a mess. Uh, and you think, is this the best that God had at the time? Well, apparently. Uh, I mean, they were a mess. They, these, these brothers were, were, were a t- terrible bunch. And yet, through all of the sadness and sorrow and suffering, God used that to reach their hearts, to redeem them, because the devil was trying to take this family out. He knew where this family was supposed to be going. They were to be a part of the Messianic line. Jesus was someday to come through their line genetically. And he was doing everything in his power to destroy the family. And he came mighty close at this point, uh, very, very close. But God was intervening. And he used this tragedy, this suffering and sadness and sorrow, to bring healing, forgiveness, and particularly through Joseph, whose willingness to forgive uh, is amazing, as a really is an example of Christ Jesus. Uh, many aspects of Joseph's life that, that point forward to Christ. And we see that God is able, as it says in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And again, in, in there in chapter 50, uh, verse 20, again, of course, Jacob dies, and the brothers are still feeling terrible. So they come back and said, our father said, please forgive us. Because they thought, well, he deferred our punishment just out of respect for the old man. But now he's gone, and you'll probably give us what's coming to us. But Joseph says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. I have this uh, Greek transliteration Bible, New Testament, which is fascinating to read. And Romans 8.28 reads this way. And we know that to the ones loving God, all things he works together for good. To the ones according to his purpose, called being or being called. The word order is quite different in the Greek often. But what it does in the original Greek, it makes it just a passive. Um, 
action, but an active action. In other words, God, and we know it's in both cases, it's obvious that God's doing it. But here it becomes very clear because in all things he works together for good. Not that all things are good. There's a lot of evil things that happen in this world. But God has the power to heal. He has the power to transform. He has the power to redeem. And he has a power to bring good out of evil. But it's up to us to receive the blessing. We can say, no, thank you, God. I'll do it my way. Or we can say, Lord, don't understand how you're working this out. But I choose to believe, I choose to trust that somehow you're going to bring a blessing out of these present difficulties. In uh, Second Chronicles 2020, a verse that I'm sure you're very f- familiar with, and at that time Hezekiah was, was, uh, was about to be attacked by a massive army of the Moabites and the Ammonites, and Jehoshaphat reminded the Lord that they weren't allowed to, to disperse or attack the Moabites and Ammonites because they were related through Lot to the children of Israel. And so they were just kind of be left alone. And, um, but here they've risen up. They're going to attack Israel. It looks hopeless. And uh, a prophet is sent, one of the non-canonical prophets, one of the prophets whose name is only mentioned once. He didn't write a book um, Nevertheless, was a prophet of the Lord, not part of the canon of the Bible. And he brings a message to Jehoshaphat and says, the Lord says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so uh, Hezekiah accepts the message. He believes it. So he rose up early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Israel, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Second Chronicles twenty twenty. The key to good spiritual vision, the key to having twenty twenty spiritual vision is right here in Second Chronicles twenty twenty. When we believe God's word, when we believe his prophets, when we believe his message, and choose to not only believe, to trust. And even when we cannot see how God's going to possibly work it out, we can still trust his heart. And when we turn our lives over to him, God will not only redeem, but as it says, he will restore the lost years. And as a verse that um, Beverly Baker referred to this morning in the Psalms, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Ultimately, of course, this is the second coming of Christ. But even at the, as a resurrection of Christ, that certainly was fulfilled. And in our lives, we get to see little glimpses of the great fulfillment. But God has that power beyond our understanding to bring good out of evil and to bring us joy after the sorrow and the tears. May we choose to believe, may we choose to follow, may we choose to trust, and he will keep his promises. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the treasure of the Holy Scriptures, these inspired stories, the record of those who've gone before with all the trials and tribulations and sorrows and troubles and tragedies and mistakes and sins. And yet, Lord, you were at work in their hearts and lives. And we thank you, Lord, for these stories of forgiveness and redemption. And we pray, Lord, you will continue the work, the good work that you have begun in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.